A Nation Divided, furnished by The Cochran Firm. KBC 790 Talk Radio. You are listening to A Nation Divided. I am Brian Dunn. And on this program, we address issues that are dividing us as a nation and try to have solutions and try to discuss solutions that will tear down the walls that separate us. Why does a police shooting happen? What are the mechanisms underlying acts that seem peaceful that turn violent? What are the real circumstances that precede a situation that starts with a conversation and ends with a hail of gunfire. These issues are very complicated, and they involve things that you may not think that they involve. Specifically, issues of psychological stressors, physiological stressors. And in looking at these situations, there are some individuals that even though they have worked within the confines of law enforcement, they have dedicated their time, their mental energy, and their presence to addressing exactly these types of issues. Today, we are blessed to have live in the studio with us Commander Glenn Haas, who recently, as of a couple of months ago, retired from the Cathedral City Police Department. He has been on the cutting edge of research with regard to these issues, and specifically, I'm talking about psychological stressors, physiological stressors that are faced by law enforcement officers. He has been with law enforcement for 31 years. He has had almost every career that there can within the department. He has done canine, he has done patrol, he's been a sergeant, working his way up to the commander. He is now a doctoral candidate and a professional trainer of law enforcement officers. And he is not only a trainer, but he trains the trainers. He specifically talks in detail about what it is that is happening with a law enforcement officer's mind and body when they encounter high-stress situations and how they may employ tactics to lessen the likelihood of a violent encounter. It's an honor to have you here, Glenn Haas. Thank you for coming. Thank you. So when we talk about these concepts, we all know about police training. We know about field training. We know about firearms training. We know about how they are trained to make arrests, how they are trained to fill out search warrant requests, how they are trained to execute high-risk felony stops. Is there any training with regard to what they're going through psychologically? Superficially during the academy and maybe more conversational during their uh, like field training program and so forth. But there's not a concerted effort to really look at and address the, the situations that occur within the, the person's body, the physical ramifications of that. That's why you and I even spoke is because that's such an important part of it. And when we talk about these concepts, we're looking from the inside out. In other words, if you're going to tell someone how to behave, you can tell them step here. You can tell them say this. You can tell them do this to try to institute some form of muscle memory. But these issues are a little bit deeper that you're talking about. You're talking about the way an individual feels in a certain encounter. What is their body doing? What is happening psychologically with them? How is it that you began to understand the importance of these psychological and physiological stressors as it relates to categorical uses of force, police shootings, those kinds of things? I, mean, I spent most of my career trying to find a better way of doing things. And really, there's an efficiency level here that, that we miss sometimes. We work much harder than we need to. We deal with people on a level that sometimes, unfortunately, we push the incident to go farther or to be more stressful than it really needs to be. Can you give us an example of that? Well, you may have a situation where somebody, in off, any officer, and it can be a lot of times it's somebody that's newer, but it could be at any point in their career where they're put into a situation where there's fear or there's sudden acute stress caused by that fear or caused by something that triggers the, the amygdala within the brain, the little thing that's in there that's from 100,000 years ago that's evolutionary, that's necessary for us to survive. The and only thing is we're not out in the jungle. There's not a lion that's going to eat us, but now threats come from other areas. And so that gets triggered. We have a dump of stress hormone within our body and there's physiological changes that occur. And that's what I want to I wanna really focus on because I have always been fond of saying and analyzing these cases for the last 24 years that a police shooting happens in about 10 seconds or less. 
again, that's not considered to be something that applies to all shootings. But it does talk about how quickly a situation can escalate. And when you talk about acute stress, there's this concept of chronic stress, which is long-term. And it kind of uh, something that works its way into our psyches over time. But it's, acute stress is something different. How would you define that? I mean, could you give us an example? Well, there's a, it's a sudden onset of some stressful incident or event. It's something that happens immediately. And that, that happens in law enforcement. You know, this person steps out of the car with a gun in their hand. Right. Well, anybody, doesn't matter if they're a police officer or anybody else, they're going to have an, a response to that. Right. It's a human response. It was there for a reason. It's there so that we can survive these types of things. And because of that, our bodies are programmed to then dump this stress hormone and get us to a peak level. Okay. We need that type of response so that we can actually perform well. We can run, we can fight, we can do those physical things that we need to do in order to survive. The only problem is the downside is when it gets to a certain point, it goes over the edge and now we start having a degradation in performance and we stop thinking. Right, and one of the interesting things, Glenn, is that I have dedicated my career to analyzing police shootings, but I don't get involved until months after they occurred. And I'm looking at a situation from the perspective of reading a police report or looking at photographs. The officers that are actually in these situations are dealing with something very different. And they're in there, and a lot of times uh, they don't understand uh, the acute stressors that they're going to be presented with, and they have to make quick decisions. Yet some officers seem to always do the right thing. And by the right thing, I mean they don't shoot unarmed people. They don't shoot individuals that are running away from them. Yet some other officers do. And again, if my phone rings, it's usually because it was on some level uh, a shooting that someone has determined has got some problems. Typically an unarmed individual. Along those fact patterns, we hear that the person was reaching for their waistband or I thought that they were armed with, with a weapon and, and they turn out not to be. Have you been able to determine why it is that some officers seem to get involved in these situations while others don't? There's really no way to, there's no way to pick that out because of the variability of human beings. And some people will have a greater ability to just naturally deal with stress, mm -hmm. make decisions under stress. Some people will have a much more difficult time doing that. Is there any way you can test for that? No, is there, there is. Psychological, uh, is there any test with any letters behind it that will, <laughs> that will allow us to be able to figure out how the person's going to react when they're in a certain situation? No, and that's, and that's unfortunate because what we do is when we hire and we're looking at somebody, we are actually basically hiring them according to the curricula or the uh, criteria put forth by the state. Do they not have a felony? Can they do this? Have they done this? Um, they pass a the background, they tell the truth. None of those diagnostic tests that even in the, in the, uh, the psych that they have to take will tell us whether or not they're going to be a, a good police officer or make good decisions. Now, if you think about this, we're looking at their past, right? We're looking at how they dealt with stress as a high school student or as a, in college or something. Wow. But they didn't have the authority of a police officer. They didn't have the, the experience as a police officer. They didn't have those things. And, you know, Abraham Lincoln said, you want to test a man's character. You don't give him diversity. You give him power. Power. And, and that's a very interesting concept because a lot of what precipitates these categorical uses of force is someone has disobeyed a police officer. It sounds simple, but someone has said no, or someone, uh, they might be dealing with the effects of a narcotic or a mental illness or both, but they're not doing what the officer tells them to do. Now, under those situations, we have a critical component, which is a lot of people use the word de-escalation. Is the officer going to, with his words or his actions, cause the stress level to go up, cause the anxiety level to go up, cause the panic level to go up? Or is the officer, through his words and actions and demeanor, going to cause it to go down, going to cause it to de-escalate? And one of the things that's so interesting about the work that you've done is you actually are able to get into the physiological things that are happening with an officer under these circumstances, the psychological stressors that are happening. I don't get involved until later. I don't get involved until something bad has happened. What is it specifically about the work that you do that has enabled you to isolate these factors uh, as contributing to uses of force that could have otherwise been avoided? Well, there's, there's a great deal of research out there that has nothing to do with law enforcement, or specifically. There are elements of science that we don't particularly look at. There are social sciences and social um, studies that we don't really pay attention to. And one of the, um, one of the issues or one of the uh, areas of research is emotional labor. Emotional labor. Emotional labor. It's, it's when we're talking to somebody, it's putting forth um, one attitude while you feel something else. 
in, in police work, we have to do that. We can't take on everybody's emotional strain and, you know, we can't feel that deeply because you, you would never have cops. And you're they going would... to come across a lot of difficult personalities, a let's face it. Absolutely. Law enforcement's different. I mean, if you're like, for example, a flight attendant, a flight attendant is going to deal with difficult people in a situation where no one can get away repeatedly, but you never seem to see them get flustered. You never seem to see them get upset. And I've been told that it has to do a lot with the fact that they have caused these kinds of de-escalation techniques or emotional labor, or they, they somehow have mastered the ability to take a situation that is unpredictable and potentially stressful and be a calming influence under those circumstances. Well, it's a good comparison because they, they do the same things absent the you know, incarcerating people, arresting people, things like that. Right. But they have to deal with that. And, and the emotional labor research is, it really is for retail and customer service. And we're starting to move towards a service society now. Absolutely. We have to be able to deal with people that are difficult. We have to be able to deal with people in, in bizarre situations. Um, with the emotional labor, though, it's a situation where we do it very superficially. We nod our heads and say, well, I feel for you, and then we move on. The problem with that is it creates other problems within the officer that are more long-term, and that's where the chronic stress comes in. And we're going to talk about some of these issues in the context of actual cases when we return. Uh, we are KBC 790 Talk Radio. You are listening to A Nation Divided. I am Brian Dunn, and we are blessed to have Commander Glenn Haas with us. And when we come back from the break, we're actually going to look at a real case in which these exact concepts are going to be exemplified. See you soon. News. I like the way that they report the news. Talk. They're honest critics. Evolve. It's pretty thought-provoking and funny as hell. <laughs> 790. 90-K-A-K-A-B-C. Have you tried that trendy new dating app? You can have months of frivolous fun with people who just love to play games. But if you're ready for something more grown-up, try the Match app. Over 30,000 new people a day are heading to Match for grown-up conversations that lead to great dates and beyond. Our listeners that go to Match.com can start for free today. View photos and informative profiles to get a deeper sense of the people you'd like to meet. Start for free today at Match.com. That's Match.com. Oh, oh, oh. Improve visibility and save $8 instantly when you replace your worn wiper blades with a pair of Bosch Icon wiper blades at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Get premium blades that ensure clear vision in any weather and save $8 instantly on a pair of Bosch Icon wiper blades at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supply, see store for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Napa know-how. This month, a two-pack of Napa night vision headlamps is up to $10 off. Because with fall comes longer nights and poor overall visibility. Luckily, our headlamps have superior illumination, which helps reduce the chance of an accident. See better, drive safer with up to $10 off a two-pack of Napa night vision headlamps. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores. Offer ends 10 18 Heavy, heavy rain this morning, causing backed-up traffic all the way to... Please remove all laptops Folks, we're number nine on the list for takeoff, so settle in, keep those seatbelts faster. What? Rise with that. Welcome to Weston. Travel can be disruptive to your well-being. That's why at Weston Hotels and Resorts, we have rejuvenating heavenly beds, a nutritious superfoods RX menu, and a workout gear lending program to help you stay in control and rise above it all. Weston, let's rise. Welcome back. We are KBC Talk Radio 790. You are listening to A Nation Divided. I am Brian Dunn, and we are blessed to have the trainer of trainers. Commander Glenn Haas is in our studio live, and we were speaking briefly about the break, and we're actually going to talk about an actual case in which the, the shooting was actually caught on video. This is one of my cases. I was retained by the family of Elizabeth Tolleson, and Elizabeth Tolleson was a hostage that was shot dead by Los Angeles Police Department officers this summer. They were responding to the call of a man with a knife, a man that had apparently stabbed someone with a knife. We later learned that that did occur, but the stabbing was not severe, but that was not in their consciousness when they got there. 
Approximately one minute after law enforcement officers arrived, they would wind up shooting and killing both the man with the knife, a man by the name of Perez, as well as a hostage uh, that he had taken, who is the mother of my clients. Her name is Elizabeth Tollison. I'm going to go ahead and play this video for you. Obviously, uh, to our listeners, you can't see the video. But there are certain contextual cues. There are certain things about the way these officers responded that play right into some of the concepts that are psychological, physiological, the concepts of stressors that you talked about. Let's go ahead and play you this, and we're going to talk about your thoughts. Uh, this, it runs about one minute long. didn't see as the situation caught on video. Go ahead and stop that, Jim. The individual, Perez, had a knife, and as the officers closed in on him, giving these commands, they shot him with a, a beanbag shotgun, and then he made a very provocative act and went towards a woman that was next to him uh, that was incapacitated. He came and he wrapped her around the neck area, and we had 18 rounds uh, being fired from three different LAPD officers that were all on opposite sides. And as we see in the video after the, after the shooting commences, both hostage and assailant fall at the same time. I represent the surviving family members of the hostage. What do you, as a trainer and as someone who has focused his career on psychological stressors, physiological stressors, how these concepts affect field context, what do you see uh, when you see this video? Well, you can, you can hear it um, as soon as the officers exit the car. There's an exchange and there's a um, elevation in their voice, the yelling at the person to drop the drop the knife, and you know it's difficult to sit here and say that was the absolute wrong thing to do, not being there and not knowing what their experience levels are and what they were trained in and so forth. Good point. But that's really the issue: is that you know where have we gone in law enforcement training over the last thirty years, and have we progressed along with the technology and with the research that's out there? So in a situation like this, we know that uh, the screaming, uh, yelling, that can actually amp up the officer that's doing it, and it can amp up the officers around them. Now, let me stop you briefly, because this is, this is a concept that you have innovated. It's something that you're bringing up that, I, listen, I've been doing this a long time, and I've never heard anyone actually talk about that. We have been raised in a culture where police yelling is part of contacts with police. I, I've just come to accept that they yell at you. And one of the things that you're saying is that that creates psychological and physiological effects. Even the person doing the yelling is going to have a heightened level of anxiety. And it's contagious. It's contagious uh, and it can spread to the people that are, that are listening to them. How is it that you came to this? Well, anecdotally first, I mean, even when I first started back in the 80s, uh, you could see when somebody, uh, let's say at a, at a traffic stop or a felony stop, you have a PA and you can use a PA. But we have officers that chose not to and they would yell. I would see that those officers be more amped. And throughout the stop, especially if there were several people in the car, you would see that it getting more and more stressful as each person came out because they were yelling. And every time they right. yelled and every time they did that, they amped themselves up a little bit, they amped their other people, and then, and then it was contagious. And then the anxiety is going higher and higher and higher on both sides. Right. Now, conversely, somebody takes a police microphone and uses the PA and they can say it calmly and that calms themselves down right there's this effect that where we're just kind of staying neutral they can say their piece get out of the car put your hands up do this and then they can unclick the microphone and breathe okay calm themselves down and that then in turn calms the other officers down they have a sense of confidence of what's going on well let's look what we see though i mean you talk about uh, acute stressors they're dealing with a guy with a knife come on 
they didn't know uh, that he hadn't seriously injured someone, but they've got a report that he may have. So doesn't that kind of go out the window because you're dealing with somebody who's an actual threat here? He's got a knife? Well, as a human being, sure, that's, that's, going, to, that's going to create stress. But I'm looking at it from especially a long-term training standpoint of what is going to get us to successfully work our way through this problem and do it in the most effective and efficient means possible. And if that is teaching the officers that the yelling really doesn't add anything unless there's a volume problem. Right. Okay. If it's in a loud area, then you have to. But in a situation where you don't have to, does that add anything? And I would say that there's no studies out there and there's, there's really no data to say that yelling actually increases your effectiveness. I would think it was the other way. And when you talk about effectiveness, okay, obviously what we know, because we've dedicated our lives to these concepts, is the, the most effective resolution is one where nobody gets hurt. The most effective resolution is one where everyone sees their day in court and that neither law enforcement or suspect are injured in any way. You have come up with a concept of victory versus glory in terms of how to analyze the effectiveness of, of, of an encounter, of a field contact. Why is victory better than glory? Well, I would love to say I came up with it. Actually, Sun Tzu came up with it about 2,500 years ago. I'm just, <laughs> he, I'm just wrote, he wrote The Art of War? Okay. Right. And, and right. Re really what it says is <laughs> he said essentially that uh, give me a general who doesn't care about being embarrassed or about having the bad things happen. He can retreat. He can take some embarrassment. I want the general that is looking towards the outcome. Right. It's a poor translation, but there's a million translations for it. Essentially, it's this. It's victory is... We're achieving our objective in the most efficient and effective means possible. Nobody gets hurt, nobody gets sued, nobody breaks anything. Right. Glory, on the other hand, glory is a ego-based, an individual need. It's an emotion that is something that it fulfills for just that moment. Great it doesn't point. mean anything yes. for the ultimate outcome of the situation. And so if we measure those two things and we look at what we do, a lot of times even of our personal lives, Am I doing this because I want the victory or I'm doing it for the glory? And if you want that victory, it doesn't matter if you're a cop or a 7-Eleven clerk. Sometimes you, you have to give up a little bit in order to meet that. And when you talk about what you're giving up, you're making such great points, Glenn. We just saw a video where the outcome can't be one in which anyone's happy. Everyone died. The hostage died. The person with the knife who probably would not have been prosecuted for attempted murder also died. We saw tactically, we saw a lot of officers giving commands at the same time. We saw them yelling. Uh, this whole thing took about a minute from the moment they got there until the moment everyone was dead was about a minute. You didn't have departmental resources being utilized. You did not have a situation in which they had a plan of action. You didn't have a situation where there was a person that was considered to be the contact officer versus the cover officer. They just kind of got out of the car and converged on the bad guy. And this is kind of what happened. Now. When you talk about these concepts, would you agree that in terms of the tactical considerations that you have studied, specifically not yelling, listening to the person, trying to slow a situation down as opposed to speeding it up, there's going to be a lot of institutional mindsets that are going to go against that. There's going to be a lot of inertia from years and years and years of doing things one way. How do you handle the person that says, why should we be nice to this guy? He's got a knife. Go back to the victory glory. First off, it's not being nice. It's you have an idea of what your victory is. You know what your objective is. Good point. So it's not about being nice. It's about affecting a strategy to meet that victory. In order to achieve that victory, maybe you have to be nice. Maybe you have to be funny. Maybe you have to be something that you're not at that moment. But you're giving up something in order to achieve that victory because that's more important than the glory side of it. I don't have to change my attitude. You have to drop the knife. Well, sometimes those things are going to be at an intersection where how are you going to win that? Right. And you had a situation where uh, in this very short amount of time, one minute, they tried a, uh, one particular tactic that is yelling at him to drop the knife. Obviously, he wasn't dropping the knife. When you're trying something and it's not working, does your training protocol, as you've analyzed, necessitate considering a different approach, for example? Yes, but in this particular case, and I'll say that going back to what you said about these people, you know, the victims, I would even say that the officers and the officers' families and everybody's a victim there because they're all feeling this. Point. The officers themselves, and this is where this becomes crucial, this communication 
idea becomes crucial is that once you start down a path and you start increasing the stress and the physiological effects take place, it's very difficult to start a different track and start thinking about what to do. It's very difficult to then start planning because all of your cognitive abilities go from that prefrontal cortex. They go back to the midbrain, and that's where you're dealing from. You're dealing with people who are excited, aroused, and that's not their fault. That's the physiological effect of that HPA access. And you have actually implemented these techniques, and they've worked for you. Uh, Folks, we are KBC 790 Talk Radio. We are talking with a trainer of trainers, Glenn Haas. When we get back from the break... We're going to talk about exactly how he implemented these kinds of cutting-edge techniques when he is the commander of a large police force and how they worked. We are a nation divided. We'll be right back. We are News Talk. We fall. Sounds great, great. 790 K-A-B-C. There's only one, only one Ben Shapiro, but you can hear him twice, hear him twice, weeknights at 6.30 and 9. Truly, truly amazing. Miss him at 6.30. This is very bad, by the way. Hear him at 9. Like what you heard at 6.30? For Democrats, any form of Republican speech is demagoguery. Hear it again at 9. Sheer demagoguery. One Ben Shapiro, two times, two times a night. Weeknights at 6.30 and 9 on 790-K-A-B-C. KABC News, live and local at 4.30. I'm Rob Marinko. A man in Long Beach suffered stab wounds to the chest and was taken to a hospital, and a suspect, possibly someone he knew, was arrested in connection with that attack that took place around 10.30 last night on Cherry Avenue. USC officials have agreed in principle to a $215 million class action settlement with women who claim they were sexually abused by Dr. George Tyndall, the former campus gynecologist. There were no tickets sold with all six numbers in the latest drawing of the multi-state Mega Millions lottery, and the estimated jackpot for Tuesday's drawing will grow to a record $1.6 billion. KABC Sports, the Dodgers and Brewers will play today in Milwaukee to determine which team will go to the World Series and face the Red Sox. KABC Weather, sunshine, warm temps, gusty winds, highs in the 80s and 90s. It's 90 right now in Sherman Oaks, 89 in downtown L.A. The leaves are falling. While shopping for a new rake, you check your ADT security camera from your phone and see some kids with toilet paper and eggs approaching your property. Then you see what they see, your ADT sign and outdoor camera, and scurry away. Scarecrow Service, brought to you by ADT. Designing and installing a smart home just for you, backed by best-in-class 24-7 protection. Learn more at ADT.com. ADT, real protection. License information available at ADT.com. Looking to save money on Medicare Part D? Well, Walgreens is a preferred network pharmacy for many plans, including United Healthcare, which means lower co-pays for you. Together, Walgreens and United Healthcare make saving on Medicare Part D quick and easy. So bring your prescriptions to your nearest Walgreens pharmacy and start saving today. Walgreens, trusted since 1901. This is Behind the Mic with Brad Dalius. Hey, it's Brad Dalius, host of Behind the Mic, and we're wrapping up your day with your favorite L.A. sports teams, the latest buzz in national sports, and more weeknights at 11 on Talk Radio 790 KBC. Running a marathon this fall? What do you do to prepare? You train. Or maybe you have a big presentation coming up. What do you do to prepare for that? You research. What about getting your house ready for the colder months ahead? You need to prepare. And if you need any help or advice, you can call me, Lou Manfredini, and I'll help you answer any questions you have about your home. All you have to do is call. How Smarts Radio airs every Saturday morning live from 8 to 9 right here on 790 KABC. The hard truth is that our nation is divided, wounded, and angry. Where is the voice of reason? Tune into A Nation Divided, discussing issues that divide us and how they affect your civil rights. A Nation Divided with Brian Dunn, Saturdays at 4 p.m. on Talk Radio 790 KABC.
Welcome back. We are KBC 790. You are listening to A Nation Divided. I am Brian Dunn. We are here with Commander Glenn Haas. There has been so much emphasis and so much talk about issues regarding police accountability, issues regarding excessive force, but rarely a voice comes along that looks at the situation in terms of perhaps we shouldn't be here in the first place. Perhaps the way that we should approach field contacts with suspects is to try to get it so that there is not even the need for force. And if there is no need for force, then we can effectively accomplish our role. We can apprehend suspects, we can go home to our families, and nobody has to get hurt. We have in the studio one of the pioneering voices on exactly this type of approach to law enforcement. I know that it hasn't been easy for you, but what I'd like to talk about, Mr. Glenn Haas, is that you became, that's H-A-A-S, folks, uh, you became commander of a police force in Cathedral City, and you had developed a curriculum, an actual course curriculum, that talks about concepts that may be typically uh, foreign to the, con- uh, the consciousness of law enforcement. Concepts such as empathy, uh, concepts such as listening as opposed to taking action, concepts such as modifying one's voice and mannerisms to de-escalate the level of anxiety. Tell us what happened when you became the one that was in charge and how your reactions changed as it relates to the community's response to your police forces. Well, in about 2008, um, we saw our use of force stats. They're always probably about the same year in, year out. They, they went between 30 to 40, maybe a little bit over, depending. Categorical uses of force. Categorical uses of force. And right. for, for ladies and gentlemen, that's something serious. That's something where somebody got hurt, a weapon was used, um, perhaps a shot may have been fired, but it's something different than just a get on the ground kind of thing. Keep going. Keep exactly. Going. And, and it could be pepper spray or taser, any of those things. Right. Um, but we had an idea of what is it that we could do to try to reduce some of these. And so we broke it down and we, we categorized the types of force. And then we broke that down into other categories and said, which one of these can we address? And ultimately, and you can't really go out and say this to, uh, especially to cops, because they'll think that you're attacking them and their, their ability to protect themselves. Sure. That's not what we were doing. We were trying to actually protect them by giving them other options and showing them that there's a more efficient way. And one of the things that's so interesting is that it actually protects them. It protects the officer. Keep going. Absolutely. Um, so what we did is we slowly started instituting some things, some positive feedback. And basically what we did is we started encouraging the problem solving for officers. We started, we, we started kind of patting them on the back for the times that they could have used force and they decided to wait, talk a little bit more. Great point. And those are the discretionary uses of force, the ones that, that had to be immediate. We didn't really deal with because those you have to protect yourself and you have to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. So uh, 2013, the local paper out there, um, they ran a, a study and everybody's uses of force were pretty much the same. Ours went from, I think it was 38 in 2007, 2008, down to 3 in 2013. From 38 to 3. Right. Okay. I, I don't want to do the math, but that is a several hundred percent <laughs> reduction. Right. How do you think specifically what you taught was able to trickle down to the rank-and-file police officers? Because you can't be there when they have these contacts. Well, how, how were you able to, to change the way that they approach these situations? Well, I think what we did that really worked out is that we, we told them it's okay to try something else. It's okay to talk to people. It's okay to do this. And we were battling this kind of institutional need to be a warrior. And there's a time when you have to be a warrior. But being a warrior in a time when you shouldn't be is problematic. And that is such a great point. I'll tell you why. In almost any profession, you're going to have quality control measures. You're going to have, uh, you're going to have to change the way you're doing things if it doesn't work. We've talked about flight attendants. You can talk about really anything. You can talk about attorneys. You can talk about psychologists, therapists, uh, doctors, any profession. Uh, You're going to have to revamp your way of looking at the world if it's not working. For some reason, law enforcement doesn't fall into that category. Law enforcement, it's very hard to penetrate that the inertia of years and years and years of of entrenched thinking, us against them thinking, Uh, thinking that this is a a very brutal world. We have to get home to our families, and there's a way of doing this. And if if some people uh, get their heads cracked along the line, that's just the way it works. You're challenging that. You're, You're saying, no, that doesn't have to happen. You've got to be, at some point, running against some resistance from the brass. (laughs) <laughs> yes, ab- absolutely. At the time, though, we didn't. We had a chief that, that valued that and let us kind of run with it and see where it came out. Well, right. when the newspaper came out and the, the statistics were what they were, then obviously he was in a very good light. Right. Um, is there resistance? Yes, there always will be. But I think what happens now is that we're police work is changing in such a way that, you know, whether it's because of video, it's because of the ability to share that video around the world. Mm-hmm. Things are changing so quickly, and 
the industry is not. When you said, well, you could have cracked heads and do these things years ago, that might have worked back then. But that's not going to work anymore. And you I can personally go on. don't think it ever has really well, worked. But now it's not word for it. Yeah, it's not in the shadows anymore, right? Right. So now you go on YouTube and you can destroy a department's reputation with one 15-second video. Excellent point. But you can also, and there's some very good videos out there that we kind of overlook, is there's some very good videos of good police work where you just shake your head and you go. And that's the point. Oh. No one pays attention to good police work. Right. It never makes headlines anymore. But when they actually solve a very difficult, I've seen one uh, one news show where a guy was getting ready to, he was getting ready to jump over a bridge or something and they formulated a plan, they brought him off the bridge, uh, they actually hoisted him. It, it was amazing police work and I was just so happy that the local news the news outlet chose to say something good and give them kudos because this is the type of thing that, you know, they're human. Right. And if you only focus on what's bad, if you only focus on the bad shootings, if you only focus on on the kinds of things that are going to, you know, build walls uh, between the community and law enforcement, what result do you do you expect? Well, I can tell you what res what result you get is you get a lack of police legitimacy, and that happened right. in Ferguson. And, and people look at that, and until they really look into what happened in Ferguson, they just see it as like you said, us versus them. But even as he's a, referring as a, to for the for our listeners, he's referring to a very high profile shooting uh, in Ferguson. I believe it was Missouri, uh, an individual that was fired upon unarmed after a very brief confrontation with law enforcement, but it resulted in an awful lot of national attention being uh, drawn to these issues. Right. And now we can look at that very superficially, or we can go in and look at the report on what Ferguson did over years and years and years with their court systems and to the citizens. And you can almost watch the police legitimacy in that town just degrade right. and degrade and degrade. And, you and know, nobody wins when that happens. No, of course not. Of course not. And, and, you know, it's so important. So uh, I'm looking at, do you mind telling our listeners what your website is? Because Mine? if you want to read about Glenn Haas, he's got a website and it talks about some of the, the publications. Yeah, go ahead. Tell uh, us about it. It's just gahaas.com. And he spells his name H-A-A-S. And, and I've, I've actually got in my hands, a, it's actually a curriculum from the course that you actually teach. And I know you're working on your Ph.D. right now. And, you know, as a doctoral candidate, some of these issues have got to become significant. But there is a segment of the CV that says empathy uh, is not weakness. To me, that's just music to my ears. That's like reading something from the Bible when I see that. Because that's, that exists in all professions. It exists in all interpersonal relationships, for that matter. But you're actually teaching it to law enforcement officers, and it's working. What do you mean by that, and how do you, how do you actually come up with strategies to implement this really high-minded concept in the field? Well, it is what it says. It's, we think of empathy, or there are groups of people think of empathy as, well, that's weakness. I shouldn't have to think about anybody but myself. Right. Empathy meaning sensitivity to another's feelings. Exactly. And if we can take that concept and we can kind of expand and let and, let, and hear the officers of, of exactly what they believe it might be, but we can also show them that, well, what if this is the path to a more effective and efficient way of doing your business? Then, even if you maybe don't believe it 100%, wow. but you yes. employ it, we still get a better product in the end. Works, and it used to be that just some officers would just naturally do this and some wouldn't. And you're trying to make it more part of the institutional knowledge. Uh, you told me a wonderful situation about an encounter that you had with an, an officer that, unbeknownst to you, actually was employing these concepts years and years and years ago. I, I would ask that you share that with our listeners. Sure. They, uh, 31 years ago, I was in training in, at the Riverside Sheriff's Department, and you get out of the academy and you're demeanor and the way that you talk has been changed because of the six months in training. You're supposed to stand there and remember the old Joe Friday, yeah. just the facts. You're a robot. Right. More robotic. Yeah, exactly. We went into this woman's trailer. It was a small trailer and somebody had stole something from her and she invited us in. She said, would you like to sit down? And me being right out of the academy, I said, oh, no, ma'am, I'm going to stand here and take the report. And my training officer said, yes, ma'am. He sat down, he crossed his legs and he looked comfortable and you could see her get a big smile on her face, and then right. she offered him something to drink, and he accepted it. And uh, just out of the academy, I was kind of blown away. Not I, supposed to do that. I'm thinking, wow, this is you're really comfortable. Right. But I saw what it did for her, and then as we progressed through my training, I saw what it did for other people, and how he put them at ease, and how he was able to communicate. And the funny part was, he was able to get even with some very bad people, he was able to get really good information. That is such a great concept. You know, when I was in law school at Michigan. I had never had anything but really horrible experiences with law enforcement. I had never, uh, you know, I had been beaten up. I, I, they had yelled. I had never met a nice cop in my entire life, and I, I had gotten pulled over because I had some bad tags. 
on my car, and it was a, a female police officer. And I was just terrified because every experience that I'd had up to that point had been incredibly negative and violent in some cases. And I was searching for the registration, and I was just really nervous. And the glove box was down, and I was rummaging through the glove box with my right hand, and, and she was showing the light on. And, and Glenn, you know what she, she said to me? She said, sir, you're scaring me. Just like that, sir, you're scaring me. And I said, I'm, I'm sorry. And I immediately just really slowly put my, but just her saying that, I had never been talked to like that by a police officer before. So he came around and he opened the door and I said, let's just find this together. But just that compassion, and it was just the tone of her voice, and she was right. I mean, I didn't mean to be scaring her. I was just terrified myself. That is the type of thing that can completely change an encounter. I had never not been yelled at. <laughs> the only communication I'd ever heard was screaming, you know, from a law enforcement officer, her saying that. To this day, Glenn, I have never forgotten that encounter. And I realize if that type of compassion... That type of listening and just, she's telling me she's vulnerable in a soft tone of voice. And she's, that's what she's feeling. You know, that just that approach could solve so many problems. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to talk about another real-life implementation of, of these principles when we get back. Uh, we are so blessed to have the trainer of police trainers. Uh, Commander Glenn Haas is in our studio with us. Uh, when we get back, we're going to talk about yet another case uh, in which something happened that should not have happened. Thank you for listening. We are KBC 790 Talk Radio. You are listening to A Nation Divided. I am Brian Dunn with a great cop, Commander Glenn Haas. What's going on around your house? Need a little help? A second opinion? Well, I'm here to help answer any questions you have about your home. All you have to do is call. Join me, Lou Manfredini, every Saturday morning from 8 to 9 a.m. on House Smarts Radio, right here on Talk Radio 790 KABC. Are you looking for an alternative to drug and alcohol rehabilitation that allows you to recover in the privacy of your own home with an individualized program? The Key Light Company's Concierge Detox LA can be that alternative. Headed by Dr. Damon Raskin, addiction specialist, and clinical psychologist Dr. Howard Glass, Concierge Detox LA can meet your recovery needs. For more information, contact Concierge Detox LA at 323-935-9712. That's 323-935-9712. Do you care about sex, addiction, mental health, social issues like the Me Too movement, and getting healthy? Tune in to Dr. Kate and Lauren for the provocative new show, Behind Closed Doors, Saturdays at 6 p.m. on Talk Radio 790 KABC. If you're 85 or younger, would you like peace of mind and comfort for your family? We're Final Expense Direct with an urgent message for you. The average funeral today costs over $8,000. Call now for free information about our senior plans. Answer a few simple questions and receive approval right on the phone. Call 800-319-8464. That's 800-319-8464. Again, 800-319-8464. As a small business owner, you make every dollar count. So what could you do with $10? Go to Vistaprint.com today and you'll get 500 high-quality custom business cards for only $9.99. That's less than two cents per card. And at Vistaprint, your satisfaction is absolutely guaranteed. So it's never been easier to turn 500 strangers into connections. Just visit Vistaprint.com and use promo code 7272 at checkout. That's Vistaprint.com, promo code 7272. Welcome back. We are KBC 790 Talk Radio. You're listening to A Nation Divided. I am Brian Dunn. I am here with a police trainer extraordinaire, Glenn Haas. Why do police shootings happen? What are the psychological components of a police shooting? What happens in an officer's mind preceding a police shooting? What happens in an officer's body preceding a police shooting? Glenn Haas has dedicated his career and his research to analyzing these questions with one singular purpose, meaning... If there is a way to prevent violence from happening, if there is a way of thinking that can lessen the violence, it must be uh, implemented. He has faced many challenges along the way. Uh, I'd like to play uh, for our listeners, this is another actual case of mine, uh, but it's emblematic of some of the concepts uh, that we've been talking about. Unfortunately, this case has an incredibly tragic ending. A man died. This was a drunk driver who had been pulled over by the CHP. They had contained his car. It had uh, crashed briefly into a 
defense. Uh, he was trying to dislodge the vehicle. He was drunk. He could not understand their commands. I mean, really, really drunk. The car was contained, though, and he wasn't able to go anywhere. And very spontaneously, as you will hear, a, a fatal shooting occurred. And we are going to play you the actual, the actual police dispatch. It runs about one minute. And then we're going to have Commander Haas give us his take on this. This is, again, this is an actual police video from an actual dash camera. Stop the car! Stop the car! Give me Show me your hands! Show me your hands! Stop it! Stop the car! Don't do it! Your has been updated. Show us your hands! Get out of the car! 3910, Your incident has been updated. Your incident has been updated. Get out of the car! Get out of the car! Don't do it! Your incident has been Okay, uh, stop that. Now, what you just heard, ladies and gentlemen, was not fake. It was real. That is the actual last minute of this encounter. And one of the reasons why I wanted to allow our listeners to hear it uh, is because there was one officer who shot once who was doing the yelling, most of the yelling. And the other officer literally emptied his clip. He had, he had 11 plus one, and he, he shot until he couldn't fire anymore. And I have always analyzed that in terms of the frenetic energy that happens when there's yelling. And they are literally amping themselves up in that minute that precedes the shooting. The driver of the car is so incredibly drunk that he cannot understand what's happening. But his crime is drunk driving. And so you have a situation where the car was effectively contained. It wasn't going anywhere. They had boxed him in. But this shooting just erupted. Now, you've talked about the fact that yelling and just, for lack of a better word, panic energy, the energy that makes the anxiety level rise, that it's contagious, and it actually has psychological and physiological consequences. Can you talk about that for a minute in the context of what we just saw? In a situation like this, there's nobody that's not going to have some type of stress. Right. Okay. So we talk about stress arousal, and what happens is you have a part of your brain that is always active and it's always looking for threats. It's part of our evolution. And it actually bypasses other parts of your brain in order to stay active. And it does that, again, for your survival. Right. It's an amazing component to a, another amazing component, which is our brain. So what it'll do is once, the, once there's stress, okay, and it's a state of arousal, it will create a situation where uh, this stress hormone is released. And that will give you the best chance of survival, right? It increases your ability to see well, and it's think. It's built into our DNA from right. when we were running from like woolly mammoths and like saber-toothed tigers and stuff, right? E exactly, exactly. <laughs> right. The, the problem is there's a point where it's diminishing returns. It actually works against us. Yes. Right? And th there's an actual law there. It's a Yerkes-Dodson uh, law that says we're, it will progress to a certain point and then it will actually work against us. Diminishing right? this returns. Is, this is how much this, this has been studied. So in a situation like this, um, you know, and the officers can, they can go either direction. They can calm it, they can fire it up. They can right. amp that up. And I just want to isolate that because you just nailed 25 years of my life. It is. but They the, can calm it or they can fire it up. I don't think I've ever heard it said more succinctly. Bring it, bring it, bring well, it. Well, I'm going to follow up with this, saying that in, in some cases when they get to a point, they don't have the control to really make those decisions. It's because it's going beyond the point of no return. Exactly. And, and, and the physiological effects of that stress hormone is now pushing out and it's actually difficult to problem solve or to think. They're right. relying on kind of the repetition, the training, the yelling at stop the car, stop the car. And that's unfortunate. It's unfortunate for so the officers. the brain cannot solve problems and think like it would before after this point of no return. Exactly. Okay, keep exactly. going. So, and, and this this is all research that's, that's already out there. So, um, you have a situation where you have less ability to make cognitive choices, right? right? And now you're just kind of running on autopilot. Right. And 
perhaps the path you went down isn't the best path. Maybe you don't realize that you're boxed in or that you have the person boxed in. Maybe you don't realize that there are other alternatives. Well, they weren't in the path of the car. The thing is, and we looked at the police reports after and they said that the, they thought the car was, was going to run them over, but they were well outside the path of the vehicle. It was completely illogical. Well, I mean, well, they were completely safe. Well, here's, you know, here's, I will have to say this, and you might not like this part of it. Part of that physiological response from the system, it changes our perspectives, it changes our way of thinking. There's a concept called looming, and especially with vehicles or especially large things that are moving towards us. Wow. And looming is actually a big problem because you could say, well, I thought the car was going to hit me. It was going 10, 15 miles an hour, and it was five feet away. And the evidence shows that it was going two miles an hour and it was right. 20 feet away. Right. But our physical makeup then, at that point, when that stress hormone hits and that's it's controlling the way we see, wow. it's affecting our vision, the officer's not lying. It's right. just that is what they see. And that, again, that's just another concept that's out there that is it's unfortunately It's not true. something that I don't like. I think it's something that's actually absolutely appropriate. And, and the thing is, when we look at these cases, one of the things is that we're looking at them years later in an air-conditioned courtroom where we're not in that situation. Right. But still, there has to be something. Can you train officers to, even though they're dealing with these increasing stressors, looming is an incredible concept because it happens a lot in car cases, to kind of forestall this point of no return or at least kick it out a few minutes or seconds. Can something be done to train these men so that when they get in that situation the next time, we're not going to see the same result? I think so, and I think there's a lot of other people out there that believe the same thing, that yeah. you can, uh, there's a, again, there's a big body of research now on stress resiliency or mitigating the effects of stress. And it's possible, it's not easy, and it's not something that you can just teach somebody in 10 minutes and then it works for the next five years. It doesn't right. work that way. In order to be effective, it's gotta be something that is comprehensive and that it's the department buys into it and says this is a value to us and we wanna make sure that our officers are operating in that optimum area, not where they're going over the cliff and it just becomes panic. Okay, we have a little bit of time left. Uh, give us your perspective on the future. How do you think we're gonna move uh, in light of this, do you think that, just generally speaking, your opinion matters. You know this. You've studied this. Are we going to move in in this direction, the direction that you're you're taking the nation? I would love to see it move in that direction because I think it's not only is it better for society, but you know, being a cop for 31 years, you still maintain a connection. Right. And I think it's better for the cops. In in the in the end, they're going to work better, more efficiently. They're going to they're going to have better respect from the public, and the public is going to get a better product in the end. Whether we can get to that point, it's unfortunately it's an industry that is resistive to change. And um, you have done many wonderful things to tear down that resistance, Mr. Haas. Folks, uh, this has been a nation divided. One of the interesting things about the work that both of us do is. The, the consciousness that underlies the approach to law enforcement will invariably impact the result. And what we're seeing from Commander Glenn Haas is that if you're coming from a place of compassion, if you're coming from a place of empathy, if you're coming from a place of good old-fashioned kindness, you're going to see positive results not only in the complete reduction of complaints from the citizens, the complete reduction of excessive force incidents, but also you're going to dramatically increase officer safety. We may seem like we're on opposite sides of the spectrum, but we are on the exact same side, Commander Haas. I agree. I want to thank you for being on the show. You are making a difference. And I love saying this. You are one great cop. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been A Nation Divided. We are KBC 790 Talk Radio. Tune in next week. And in the meantime, you might want to check out this man. Uh, Glenn Haas, I believe we're going to be hearing a lot more of his name. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks uh, thank for you. tuning in. And uh, thanks for helping Mr. Haas to tear down the walls that divide us as a nation. Thank See you. you next week. A Nation Divided, furnished by The Cochran Firm.